Welcome to Aston Means Business, a podcast from Aston Business School. My name's Steve Dyson, and I'm a journalist who's interviewing some of the UK's top business academics here at Aston, along with various inspirational business leaders. This podcast has been going since October 2019, and there are now more than 35 previous episodes that you can find and listen to by simply Googling Aston Means Business. Today's episode is all about women in leadership, and it's been timed to coincide with International Women's Day on the 8th of March 2022. We'll be looking at both the challenges women face and the ways they can succeed in what can still be a very male-orientated business world. Joining me to discuss these concepts will be Daniela Ginas, a graduate of Aston Business School's MBA programme. She's a multi-award winning entrepreneur and is founder of She's the Boss International. But first, I want to talk to Helen Higson. She's Professor of Higher Education Learning and Management at Aston Business School. Hello to you, Helen. Very nice to see you, Steve. Helen, you've had a wide-ranging career in the university sector since 1983, serving in many roles, including Provost and Deputy Vice-Chancellor here at Aston University, before starting in your new role as Professor of Higher Education, Learning and Management. I want to just introduce our listeners to you a little bit because you've got so much that's gone on in your career. I mean, you were awarded the OBE in 2011 for your services to higher education. And in 2017, you were appointed as Deputy Lieutenant for the West Midlands and Vice Lord Lieutenant from 2020. And those are just a few of the things that you've done and been successful at in your career. Now, as you know, today's podcast is about women and leadership. And so perhaps you can tell us how you yourself have managed to become so successful in leadership. What I'm trying to ask you is what challenges did you face in different roles and how did you overcome them? I think there are really three areas that I would point out as things that have been challenges to me, but which I've overcome in a way that actually I think has has become a strength. So the first one is this wish to be liked. Um, we all are motivated by wanting to be loved or liked, but actually this leads in management to being very careful, not wanting to upset people. Um, and I, I think it doesn't get you anywhere because you don't get that respect. And and as soon as I learned this, it was absolutely liberating. It was, you can still be that compassionate leader, but the boundaries are there and the boundaries are important. And I found that my career certainly started being much more comfortable, taking off when I understood that I'm loved at home, so I don't need to be liked in the office. That's a really good point. Um, And I suppose the second thing is um, judging the world um, on the basis of how I thought people were looking at me. And actually, they probably never were looking at me like that. So a lot of us see every, see the world through our own rose-tinted or darkened spectacles. But actually, I realised that I could actually influence people's view of me rather than be worried because they'd got that impression, which, of course, was, wasn't necessarily a reality. And um, I think that's, again, a very powerful powerful thing. And I came across a book 
um, by a lady called Amy Cuddy, um, called Presence. Um, and that was all about how you could make yourself uh, a presence in the boardroom, a presence in meetings, just by uh, how you sat, how you looked. Um, and I think that was very empowering. And then the third thing is about um, surrounding yourself with people who are better than you, who are more talented than you. Uh, I think once I learned that actually it wasn't a challenge to have a team of people who were a lot more intelligent and a lot better at their roles than you. Actually, <laughs> that you, you could empower them. You could, and, and of course, you can stand in the background basking in the glory quietly but actually the real um the real satisfaction is is from seeing them and their achievements um and i think those are the three things that i would pick out that once i realized those uh the sky was the limit they're really fascinating helen um, turning to other women in the business world what are the primary obstacles that you think they face, especially in becoming leaders? And how should we be tackling these as a society when we're talking all the time about equality, diversity and inclusion? Well, I, I, I think I'd start with an anecdote. Um, I'm, I'm quite small. I'm five foot two. And um, one woman leader said to me, Helen, you're going to find it very difficult as a female leader, because you're so small. And I think that was almost a call to arms. And, and I replied, well, I may be small, but I make up for it with my energy. Um, um, and and, and I, so I think um, you, you shouldn't see uh, anything as a barrier. It's about um, your impact rather than what you look like. Um, and I suppose the other thing would be the lack of confidence. Now, where this comes from, I do not know. Uh, um, certainly in my own life, uh, I had very supportive parents, very excellent education, lots of people who've supported me in lots of ways. But that confidence, that lack of confidence, really there niggling all the time and and, and I think um, self-doubt and confidence can really get in the way um, and almost befriending that 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 little devil on the shoulder who's saying well you're not really that good or you can't do that and saying well shut up you um, of course I can do it let me show you uh, I think I think that's Really, you know, these, these little things, how, how you see yourself, how others look, um, and having a conversation with your, your lack of self-confidence. That's really good guidance. Helen, we're now going to listen to my interview with Daniela Ginas, a graduate, of course, of Aston Business School's MBA programme, and a multi-award winning entrepreneur and founder of She's the Boss International. Hello to you, Daniela. Hello. Thank you for having me. 
No problems. Daniela, let's start by finding out a little bit about your background. Where, where are you from? Where did you grow up and how were you educated? So I'm originally from Nottingham in the East Midlands. I grew up in an inner city area called Baseford. Um, and it was a, I would say, quite a, a deprived background, let's just say. I didn't grow up with much money. There was quite low aspirations within the community. I attended a, a comprehensive secondary school, which, again, within the school, very low aspirations. I remember uh, quite specifically one of my classmates had her first child at age 14. So that was the kind of environment that I was kind of grown up around. However, within my home, both of my parents, I think recognising the kind of environment that we were in, made a point to really tell us to aim high, to reach for the skies and and to not let our kind of current situation and circumstance um, impede or impact where we kind of aspired to get to. And particularly, I remember kind of during the early years of secondary school, after kind of my parents struggling for a number of years, they both went to university and uh, did degrees as mature students. And I was able to see very quickly the impact uh, of education on changing your kind of social uh, situation, your social standing, because once they had graduated, our situation changed Uh, fairly quickly. So I I remember always thinking that actually it's really quite important to go to university and university and education specifically is the key to kind of escaping your environment. However, within the school context, I still had um, kind of teachers and guidance counsellors telling me to not think big. I distinctly remember um, one of the careers advisors when I told her my kind of grand aspirations of being a TV presenter, media mogul. I remember her saying, well, I don't really see many people from from your background achieving that. Maybe you need to set your sights a little bit lower. Have you considered being a cleaner? And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to show you, lady. I finished school, um, started college. And whilst at college, I got my first job and was very blessed with the first job that I got. I, this was obviously quite some time ago, but I was I remember being paid £6.67 an hour. Uh, minimum wage was at that point maybe like £3.57. So I was doing very, very well compared to my friends and really found that I had a love for event management. So the organisation I was working for, they did uh, mentoring programmes for young people, but they employed me as a coordinator and I, I helped with organising events and realised I really, really loved it. I really wanted to go to performing arts university in America, but instead went to university in Birmingham to study media and communications with the idea of still becoming this kind of media mogul and and really just aspiring to, to do things in, in the kind of creative and media space. Then finished university and realised that actually if I wanted to kind of get into the media, I would have to potentially move to London. Now I'm from Nottingham, I'd moved to Birmingham, that was a big leap. The idea of them moving to London was just a leap a little bit too far. So instead, I decided to stay in Birmingham and I started working. And how did you find the world of work at that stage when you first went into into full-time employment after university? I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely hated it every last moment of it and particularly I think it was the the kind of structure of it all so some of the key things that I hated was having to wear kind of office wear and office shoes 
I've really found um, like I've got flat feet. So <laughs> heels are very uncomfortable for me, but I, I had to wear them in the kind of office environments that I was going into. And I really hated that. I hated the fact that I would have to go and have lunch at a specific time every day, whether I was hungry or I wasn't hungry. That really irritated me. And I just hated being told what to do. I just felt that actually, I, I don't want to do what you've told me to do. I want to do what I want to do. <laughs> so I really struggled. So pretty much every three months I would be in a different job because I'd quit um, and hope that the next one would be a little bit more flexible. And I would find out within three months, actually it's not. And um, then I would quit. So after probably the fourth or fifth time I'd quit, I heard about a business startup program and said, actually, the time is now maybe instead of going and getting another job, I should give business a try. And I launched my first business unofficially in 2006, but officially in 2007. And that business was called Aspire For You. Um, and it was a youth, it was kind of taking all of my existing passions. So it was event management and youth training. And I started my master's whilst trying to get that business off the ground. Your early years at work certainly sounded like they were very frustrating for you. But tell us more about that first company. What, what exactly did it do? And, and how did you find the world of business and investment as a new female entrepreneur? So it was a social enterprise. Uh, we were registered as a community interest company. So for those who don't know what that means, it basically means that you take the profits and invest them in good, whether that's good through uh, working with people or for helping the environment. We specifically worked with young people and young people who were from what you would consider a background of disadvantage. So young people essentially like me. I wanted to help the me's of this world uh, and provide them with the opportunities that I felt that had been kind of, I had not been able to access. And quite quickly, I realised I was very good at writing funding applications. <laughs> so within a very quick space of time, we were able to go from just me working from home to having an office. Uh, at one point we had, well, in, in entirety, I employed 15 people, but at any one time, we had eight members of staff. We were organising events all over the country, in addition to uh, coordinating youth projects. And the projects ranged from um, performing arts, kind of talent projects where we were training young people in all areas of kind of the creative industries, to event management training programmes, to fashion design. So it was really quite diverse and I, I really loved it. We also then had corporate clients that we would organise kind of celebration events for. And I really just enjoyed the freedom, the flexibility, the impact that I was making. Every given day was completely different. I didn't have to wear what I didn't want to wear because I was the boss. So it was a running joke with my staff that I like in this office, we don't wear shoes. So I'd walk around in my socks. I would have music playing. Sometimes I'd have lunch at 12. Sometimes I'd have lunch at three because I, I really believed in the idea of kind of just being flexible. The business grew quite quickly. And um, we were quite reliant on grants and I was trying to kind of address that balance by um, kind of changing the business model slightly. I applied for the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Programme and, and managed to win a place on that and um, also on Unlimited Big Venture Challenge which was an investment programme and was going down that route and had actually been promised the investment that I needed to be able to change the business model and kind of address some of the issues that we were having in the business. And the day that we were due to sign off on the investment, um, which had already been approved, by the way, the investors contacted me and said, actually, we're not going to proceed. Can you please come back in six months? 
when you hit this specific sales figure. I cannot remember what the sales figure was, uh, but I don't believe that it had anything to do with sales. I believe that it was because at our previous meeting, they had discovered that I was pregnant. I can't prove that that was the case, but I believe that that's, that was the case. Um, so what actually then happened was I was then forced to sell the business, um, which wasn't at all what I wanted to do. Um, but there was no way that the business, I'd built the business in a way that unfortunately it was quite reliant on me. So for me to go off and have a, a child, there was no way it would have been able to continue without me. So I sold it and went on maternity leave and kind of that was how I ended up on the kind of current trajectory that I'm on um I didn't want to just sit and be on maternity leave because clearly I'm a glutton for punishment so I decided to study instead (laughs) that must have been so upsetting to feel that you've been prevented from developing the business because of impending motherhood I'm sorry to hear about that but how did the Goldman Sachs and the MBA program at Aston change things for you as a woman who wanted to lead? Um, In so many ways. I think the first thing, particularly with the Goldman Sachs program, was it really changed my my mindset in terms of the difference between a big business and a, a micro business. So as a kind of small business, a micro business, I felt that the challenges that I were facing were very unique to the the stage of growth that I was at. And I found being on the Goldman Sachs program that there were businesses there that had kind of double, triple, quadruple the size that I had that were facing the exact same challenges and the exact same problems. So that made me realize that actually the fact that we're small or that my previous business had been small wasn't necessarily the, the problem. The problem was we're missing key kind of success um, components within the business and they were what kind of through the Goldman Sachs program and then subsequently on the MBA program I really became quite obsessed with identifying what these success metrics were and um, I feel like I I was able to to achieve um, a, a clear understanding of that but it really helped give me the confidence and the knowledge to really feel like okay I'm an expert in kind of business business growth, business strategy. And I, I think as a woman, and, and we hear a lot of the time that women disproportionately suffer from imposter syndrome. And that's something that particularly in my first business, I suffered with quite a lot. Doing the Goldman Sachs program and completing my MBA, and particularly because I got a distinction with a new baby, might I add, really gave me the confidence to say, actually, I'm as good as anybody else. In fact, I'm probably better in many areas. Um, and it really helped me kind of, I suppose, stand my stand stand up and kind of be counted and hold my ground, um, I suppose, in comparison to any male counterpart. So the idea that I may be seen as less than because I'm a woman, it kind of left my brain, actually, because woman or not, I know what I'm doing. Not only do I have the experience of growing a six-figure business, the fact that I sold it is neither here nor there. I've done it. And now also I have this kind of academic and professional um, knowledge to underpin it. You launched a new business whilst you were at Aston on your MBA, didn't yes. you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. So I launched She's the Boss. In So my MBA was part-time, so I did it over two and a half years. And in year two, I launched She's the Boss. I initially launched it as Genus Enterprise Consultants, uh, which was quite self-indulgent. So I, re, I rebranded um, a year or two uh, into it. And essentially, the MBA final project and dissertation was research into the barriers to growth and to entry for female entrepreneurs. Um, and I did quite a lot of 
primary research around that as well as secondary research and then created a business plan for She's the Boss, um, incorporating everything that I learned to to help business owners not only grow their businesses, but grow them in a way that is sustainable and doesn't burn them out by being heavily reliant on them. It sounds like a great launch, especially when you're in the middle of your MBA, when you're in the middle of being a new mother, that must have been quite a juggle. So tell me about the juggle between motherhood, studying and business, first of all, and then tell us how your business has developed. So I think initially, it was uh, the, the kind of the the way in which the business grew was very much in direct correlation to the age of my daughter. So when she was very small and she was still at home, we were growing at a much slower pace because a lot of the time was prioritizing her. But once she went into uh, nursery full time, and also particularly when she went to school, that's where my business has seen the greatest growth because I've had more freedom and flexibility to be able to, to work more. This is something that I have recognized and I recognize even in the research that I was doing that many women are impacted in a much more disproportionate way to men, the double burden. So the idea that we have a a greater uh, obligation to look after children or even to look after elderly family members, uh, often much more so than men. So men have babies and they go to work two weeks later, literally paternity leave often is two weeks. Whereas as a woman, you don't necessarily and not if you may not even want to, but the point is, if you did go back to work within two weeks, it would definitely be frowned upon. Even me doing the the MBA, I remember quite a few people having some really negative things to say, like you've just had a child, shouldn't you be doing that um, and not trying to to pursue um, any academic endeavors, and especially not starting a business. But um, really, it was the the help of friends, family members, particularly when I had exams. Um, for the MBA and also when I would have to go out and do speaking engagements for the business or have to do client facing work I had a lot of help from some really friends who have become family I would say and without them there's no way that the business would have been able to even get anywhere near off the ground my confidence built based on the success kind of successes I was having with my early clients which I've seen particularly even in the last 12 months really significant and substantial growth that I think is coupled with me getting even an extra boost of confidence from seeing those real like life-changing client results but also to because I know that now I have a little bit more flexibility to kind of be more visible to be out more out there. I know that you've seen and nurtured and mentored the business Neo Enterprise and that they've had some exceptional growth tell us about that example. So Neo Enterprise is one of my favorite clients and probably the ones I shout about the most because they've had the kind of biggest leap we started working together in 2019 and they were a very, very small company, just scraped scraped £15,000 in turnover. And I met the, the owner, Oyen, and began working with her. And what really struck me with her, she reminded me very much of me at her age because she was, when I met her, she was at the, the same age that I had been when my business had started to kind of really take off. And I really wanted to make sure that she didn't make the same mistakes that I did. So we worked very closely together um, and I kind of helped her identify strategies for growth. I I, I really helped her build the business so it was systems focused and not so reliant on her. And this year they've uh, turned over 1.3 million. Wow. So it's been a a huge jump. She won last year about five awards within a month, including um, she won Female Innovator of the Year, Businesswoman of the Year, 
Um, so multi-award winning, featured in a variety of different kind of publications, including the Metro, and just doing phenomenally. Um, and she has followed the the kind of uh, success model that I developed. The, she's the boss uh, visa model. So for business growth and sustainability, she followed the five-step process and she raves about the fact that without She's the Boss, she knows that the business wouldn't be where it is. They currently are employing, I think, around 12 members of staff. And as we're recording this, she's at a, 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 some sort of trade conference in Denver in the US. Um, so she's doing phenomenally. Talking about the US, um, you, you've gone international yourself as well, haven't you? You are now She's the Boss International. So tell us about yes. that expansion. So... When I started the business, I don't think I initially started with, started it with the intention of being an international business. But once I rebranded um, in 2019, actually, I kind of set my sights on doing more international work. And um, what I've been able to do on a not as, um, what was the word? Not to the scale that I envision, because in the future, I expect that I'm going to be doing way more. But it's been, it's worked out quite well thus far. So I have uh, clients in St. Martin and also in the United States. And I also in October into November was in Nigeria for a trade mission. Um, So I've started to build partnerships over there and I'm looking at a variety of other places where I want to not only um, secure clients, but also to, to do some speaking work because I love speaking about my journey. I love empowering entrepreneurs and and I, I really just feel that, um, being able to do that on an international basis will be so much more rewarding than just staying locally. Not that the local work isn't rewarding, it is, but I love to travel. And therefore, the more clients I have in different places, the more reason I have to travel, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's not all about money, though, is it? So, I mean, tell us more about your pro bono work for the First Class Foundation and other organisations. When I first started in business, it was about making an impact. As I said, the first business was a social enterprise and um, we were a community interest company. So it wasn't about generating a profit. So the work that I do with First Class Foundation, I really see as an extension of that. First Class Foundation are a phenomenal charity. They do some amazing work on the ground in Birmingham, where obviously I live, and where there's a a variety of challenges facing um, young people in the city, knife crime, there's a lot of victims of kind of knife crime and, and, and gang violence. And they do some amazing work with the families and with the young people themselves. So one of the the, the initiatives that they're running at the moment is, is the Step Together program. So they visit um, a number of schools in some of the inner city communities and they walk the young people home to, to ensure that they are kind of safely moved from school to home without having any problems. And they also kind of mentor them and, and kind of speak to them and, and show them that they're valued. So the work that they do is absolutely amazing. And I'm just honoured to be a part of, of the charity. We also do business stuff. So last year we ran the Bounce Back programme and that was uh, providing mentoring for members of the African Caribbean community whose businesses had been um, struggling post-COVID. And we were able to also, in conjunction with BVSC, provide uh, small loans to help them and a lot of the the businesses work within the communities. So by funding those businesses, by supporting those businesses, we were able to reach so many more uh, young people and community members. 
Daniela, for women out there listening to your story, I want you to give them a few top tips for them to take on board as they begin their journeys to success. I mean, earlier on, you talked about your five-step program. Maybe that's what you want to tell them. Or are there other top tips that you can give them to inspire them as they start those businesses? The first thing I would say is related to this idea of imposter syndrome. And what I would really say is see your difference as a strength, not as a weakness. And I think this is really key. Too often we kind of walk through the world seeing our differences as a reason why we're not good enough, why we're not equal, why we shouldn't go for opportunities, why somebody would tell us no. When actually when we embrace our difference and see our difference as a strength, we walk a little bit taller, we talk a little bit uh, stronger and we approach situations a little bit more confidently and I think if more women really just embraced their femininity and embraced their knowledge, embraced their competence and stopped allowing the fact that they're women to kind of make them second guess themselves, we'd be able to get so much further. So one of the kind of key philosophies I share with a lot of my clients is feel the fear and run towards it and tell yourself that you are as good as or if not better. And that confidence is what's going to help you through. I would also say focus on the key systems that can help you build businesses that can run not necessarily 100% without you. But if you do need to step away because you want to have a child where you're not put in a position where you have to sell your business. So build robust systems within your business. Make sure you get your processes documented, outsource where you can so that your business is not heavily reliant on you. So you can go away and do these things that you want to do without having to feel that you have to kind of juggle better than a, a Olympic jugglist. I don't know if they have juggling in the Olympics. Um, <laughs> but really, yeah, and, and just go for every opportunity. Focus on the big vision. And then my kind of, I have obviously the, the five-step process, but the, the main key thing actually is my mantra, which is think big, take action, keep pushing. Have big, wild dreams. So think big, don't let anybody tell you that you shouldn't, but take consistent strategic action and you will face obstacles, but keep pushing regardless and irrespective of them. Daniela Genus, a multi-award winning entrepreneur, a woman in business advocate and founder of She's the Boss International. Many thanks for joining Aston Means Business today. Thank you so much for having me. Listening to that interview was Helen Higson, Professor of Higher Education, Learning and Management at Aston Business School. Are you still there, Helen? I am, yes. First of all, Helen, what are your thoughts on Daniela's story as a woman in business and how she succeeded against the odds to not only become a strong leader herself, but also someone who assists other business leaders? Well, I'm absolutely blown away. Um, Here is someone who's done absolutely everything. Uh, and has created a business and sold a business and created another business. She's done absolutely everything. But I suppose um, the one or two things I'd thought about that I'd pick out is, first of all, education changes your life. Um, And the OECD has said that if you go to university, you're happier, healthier and wealthier, that you're more likely to vote, you're more likely to engage in your children's education, you're more likely, you're less likely to go to the doctor or be obese. And I suppose her story showed you that actually education really does give you something more. Um, 
I think the other thing is the importance of realizing that the gift of energy and drive is perhaps rather underrated, but actually it's probably a gift better than any other. And 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 Danielle, she's got it in spades. You know, the, 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 when there was a, a an issue, a, um, a hurdle, she she just sort of her energy and her drive got her through that. When there was a challenge, it got her through that. And um, the, the pace of what she was saying, I thought that was amazing. And then I think the other thing was um, giving back, giving back. Um, she, in her career, she has both her, her business career and her portfolio, which can, includes um, a pro bono career, which is where she's actually trying to add to others' lives. And, and this work-life balance of making money, um, giving back, having your family, um, this, this is um, amazing. But I, I think the combination and this giving back brings, I got the sense that it brought her more into her business. Um, and I also think um, there's something that I have never cracked that she seems to have cracked, and that is the art of delegation. Um, uh, we think we're the best at doing it, or we think, well, others are busy, so we'll doing it. But she talked quite a bit about setting up her business so that she could do the other things. She could do the giving back, the looking after her family. And that's what I take away, and that's what I'm going to try and do better on now. Oh, that's wonderful. Finally, Helen, bearing in mind what you have heard about Daniela and also thinking about what we heard you say about your own career, for those women listening who want to become successful leaders, what are your top tips for them to take away? Well, I think uh, let me start with three things again. So the first is be yourself, be authentic. Um, don't try to mimic anyone else. Um, get in the habit to, of listening to that inner voice. Don't let that voice on the shoulder chipping away at your confidence win out. Um, just be yourself. I've always found that when I've tried to do something different, which is at odds with my values and how, how I like to operate, I've never got it quite right. Um, and so don't be embarrassed about being yourself. Um, and I think the other thing is challenge yourself kindly. Be very kind to yourself. There's other people who will um, challenge you maybe less kindly. So don't beat yourself up. Um, and I've, one way of doing this is the balcony view. So you, you're in your own life and you're in the the day-to-day -day operations of what you do, but at the same time, you're looking down at yourself and you're able to have that perspective on yourself so that um, you, you're able to um, look at yourself dispassionately and perhaps not be so hard on yourself and you're able to um, both be present and also not too intensely present. Um, and finally, um, and this is something that I've come to most recently, is the power of mentoring and coaching. Uh, so 
coaching culture is is fashionable now, but coaching culture is actually only trying to help people to take responsibility for maximising their own performance. And I took advantage of lockdown to train as an executive coach. And not only did it bring me um, a lot of strength and a lot of uh, self-awareness, but it brought me into the lives of other people. Um, And I think if you haven't got a mentor or a coach, you should find one. And if you haven't learnt the very basic art of coaching, it's time to start that. Helen Higson, Professor of Higher Education Learning and Management at Aston Business School. Many thanks for joining Aston Means Business today. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks also to Daniela Junas, who we interviewed earlier, and to you, our audience, for listening to Aston Means Business, an original podcast series for Aston University. Remember, if you've enjoyed today's episode, you can find earlier episodes by simply Googling Aston Means Business. And if you're interested in studying anything to do with business finance or economics, why not check out what Aston has to offer at www.aston.ac.uk forward slash courses. Meanwhile, we'll be back soon with more interviews from some of the UK's top business academics here at Aston University. Aston means business. Thanks for listening.